This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by Travel Texas, which recently partnered with Outside to send Olivia Christine to Dallas on a wellness getaway. So when Outside told me that I was invited to take a surprise trip to Dallas, I was so excited. A wellness getaway is basically the process of finding your perfect balance between energizing activity and meaningful rest. Maybe that's going for a walk. Maybe that's going for a hike, a run. Maybe that's a luxurious hotel that you just completely self-pamper and go to a spa. With easy access to trails, good food, and great weather, Dallas is a perfect place for people with an active lifestyle. But it's also a place where you can slow down and feel your best. So if you want to get active, if you want to get outdoors, while pairing that with good food, good scenery, that's the way to do it. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the trip to Texas that really matters. Yours. From Outside Magazine, this is the Outside Podcast. My first time was in Italy. So I'm with this guy and his two dogs, and we're in Barolo. So it's all like castles and vineyards up on the hills. And it's cold this November. They do it at night because they don't want anyone to see their secret spots. It's this really, you know, this dark, misty, moonlit kind of scene. We're trying to go through these forests and follow these dogs in this, this sort of cold, drippy night. And branches are just, like, whacking us in the face and stuff. But then, you know, the dogs will give a signal that they're digging. And then we're just running through the woods, tripping getting to the spot, trying to get to it before the dogs do. You really start to like become super aware of your senses because hearing becomes extra important. Your eyes are doing whatever they can do in that environment. And obviously then your nose is the, the final arbiter of the whole thing. So it really feels like you're just this like hypersensitive like bundle of nerve ends moving through the woods. That's Outside Magazine contributing editor Rowan Jacobson describing a unique and very secretive hunt that takes place in forests around the world. Rowan is both an intrepid journalist and an obsessed foodie. Over the years, his assignments for Outside have included tracking down a long-lost strain of chocolate in the Brazilian Amazon, foraging for invasive species in Long Island Sound, and investigating the new wave of imitation seafood. But none of that quite prepared him for his most recent story for us, a quest to find that most rare and insanely expensive wild edible, the truffle. Producer Patty O'Connell spoke with Rowan about a mysterious journey that began in the old world forests of Europe and then ended up, very unexpectedly, in the hills of Appalachia. What is a truffle. Good place to start. <laughs> so a truffle is kind of like a mushroom that never comes up above the surface and just stays underground for its whole life. So like a mushroom, it's a fungus that is full of spores. It's basically the fruiting body of the fungus. So truffles have this insane smell that drives all kinds of animals wild, including us. And because of that, they've always been a very expensive culinary item 
but they're super hard to find. What is a truffle hunt? So truffle hunt consists of a dude or a couple of dudes and their dogs sneaking around the woods, hoping no one sees where they're going and letting the dogs lead them to the truffles and tell them where to dig and then digging up these truffles and then selling them to like mafia type figures through this underground economy. <laughs> it's drugs by any other name. The, um, the dynamics <laughs> of the truffle business are identical to the dynamics of the drug business. And for you know, kind of the same reasons, it's this really pricey thing that people really, really want. And it's either somewhat illegal or totally illegal. So it's all, all the selling happens underground unregulated. So the uh, the tensions are identical. Rowan is not being sensational here. He knows what he's talking about. Last year, he published a book called Truffle Hounds that exposed some of the shady characters, obsessive chefs, and amazing dogs that power the underground truffle economy. The vast majority of his reporting took place in Europe, where truffle hunting has been a big deal for a long time because the things are worth such a ridiculous amount of money. And I mean ridiculous if i'm out in the woods and i just like miraculously come across a bunch of these truffles say like i fill a ball cap up with them how much money am i actually holding in my hands it can be quite a bit and actually the black truffles are often referred to as black diamonds and those go for about a thousand bucks a pound (laughs) it's insane money yeah yeah peak insanity just happened this last fall because the Italian white truffles, which are the most expensive truffles in the world, had a really poor season. It was too dry in Italy. Mm-hmm. So not a lot of truffles got made. So the price went up to $6,000 a pound. And Jesus. Yeah, it was, it was literally 200 bucks for a plate of pasta at a, a good New York restaurant. The only explanation for this has to be the taste, right? It's why we're willing to pay that obscene upcharge to get truffle oil on our French fries. But actually, no. I would describe the taste of a truffle as basically zilch. Like, it doesn't have much going on on the tongue at all. What you're getting in that truffle oil, you know, you're getting kind of a muskiness. Truffle oil actually doesn't have any real truffle in it. It's flavored with a synthetic chemical to make it smell kind of like a truffle. What? Yeah. So they're putting science, they're upcharging me science juice on my french fries is what you're telling me? Yes. It's science juice. It costs pennies to make. Um, Damn it. Yeah. What? And they got an extra, you know, 10 bucks for an order of fries with it. Yeah. I'm so pissed right now. There are two reasons that real truffles cost so damn much. First, they're incredibly difficult to find. They're typically the size of a thimble. And even the expert hunters who understand their symbiotic relationship with trees, what climate and soil pH level is best, and who train elite hunting dogs often get skunked. Second, truffles smell like nothing else on this planet. Their aroma has been described as being as combustible as gasoline and your first love. It's not like the classic delicious type smell. It's not like a chocolate chip cookie kind of smell mm-hmm. where like everybody likes it. It's this sort of intellectually challenging sensation where you're like, whoa, that's different. Do I like it? I think maybe I do. And then you're like, I think maybe I like it a lot. It's just, it's really elusive. It's really hard to to get a handle on what it is, 
why you like it, why you want more of it, but you do. You want to go back and smell it again. So it's it's almost like not a conscious decision. It's not because it's delicious. It's just because it's compelling you to go back and smell it again. And then you think about it later and you're like, hmm, when can I get my next truffle hit? Somehow, <laughs> like through scent, the truffle has figured out how to like tickle our, like the part of our brain where memories and emotion lie. So it becomes an emotional response more than a like physical, like, oh, I like that smell response. It's kind of like this little, you know, this come hither smell where it beckons you. And it's like, hey, come check me out. But then it's going to hide from you and you got to find it. Well, I was pretty upset that your book wasn't a scratch and sniff book. <laughs> Humans aren't the only animals that get nosegasms every time we sniff these wee woodland wonders. Mice, voles, gopher, deer, bears, and dogs all lose their minds over truffles. Flying squirrels will take a near 90-degree in-flight turn if they catch a whiff. And famously, pigs will forego sex to get to a truffle. One of the really uh, clever things about the truffle is it actually produces pheromones that are also produced by male pigs when they're feeling horny. What? Yeah, any female pig that smells a truffle, she, you know, goes into the uh, the zone and, and like, races to find that truffle and dig it up. It has all these spores, which are like seeds, and it needs to spread those spores around to make more truffle organisms. It makes itself smell so irresistible to animals that they will stop whatever they're doing, dig up the truffle, eat it, and then spread the spores around later on. The, the truffles have been working on these these scents for millions of years to, to make that happen, and they've gotten really good at it. Rowan describes truffle hunting, or truffling as the practice is called, as a kind of perfect three-way collision of food nerdery, science, and outdoor adventure, which for him makes it irresistible. It's just that feeling of being locked in and focused so in the outdoors, mm. it's challenging, right? It, there's a whole lot of sort of strategy and, well, there's a whole lot of failure, which is always good, right? Like it's it's really a treasure hunt and 90 plus percent of the time you're coming up empty. So there's that whole holy grail aspect to it, which is always fun. And then the nerdery comes because when it does work, what you're left with is this super stinky little like bundle of fungus um so <laughs> so it's like it takes over your mind it's like a jedi mind trick where um you know just like the pigs and the squirrels you can't really resist if you're susceptible to it and apparently i am rowan spent more than two years researching for his book getting to know a range of truffle hunters and convincing many of them to bring him along on their secretive hunts his research took him to England, Italy, France, Spain, and the real heart of Europe's booming truffle economy, Hungary. This is where competition over truffles has become the most ferocious and also the most heavily managed. Truffle hunters and buyers and sellers are required to have government-issued licenses. Trufflers have to keep meticulous records of their finds and frequently present them to officials. Meanwhile, Investors are buying up tracts of forest believed to contain these fungus diamonds. The result is that truffling in Hungary has become a rich person's business venture. So, naturally, a secret society that seems out of a Monty Python movie has sprung up to protect the blue-collar truffler. The Hungarian Truffle Knights. Think medallions, shields, robes, masks, and the like. 
When news spread among this group that an American journalist would be hunting with one of the Richie Rich trufflers, the truffle knights were not happy. I got a call, a mysterious call at night, inviting me to dinner at this like, like distant restaurant outside of Budapest, which was called like cock diner, basically, like, like, you know, like rooster diner. So I took the train and, and went out there and met these guys pretty late. There were these Transylvanian truffle hunters who spoke like, you know, they were out of like what we do in the shadows or something. And, <laughs> the, and they, 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 they like, you know, were like, we just want you to understand what's happening here in Hungary. You know, this is a crazy country. And we're banned from truffle hunting and the guy you're going with, he's kind of monopolizing it. And meanwhile, you know, they told, they told me to order like the most famous thing on the menu, which was the, the like cock and ball stew. It was uh, a <laughs> rooster testicle stew with a lot of, a lot of paprika, of course. And Sounds I, delicious. Yeah. I, I was like, <laughs> I, I hesitated hard. I didn't want to, you know, like displease my guests. So I was like, okay, fine. And then they all got the fish soup, all, all, the other, all three of them. So I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Am I getting gooned right now? <laughs> yeah. I, I think I got totally gooned. So yeah. So we have the dinner and, um, and I'm, you know, like slurping a lot of, lot of, lot of rooster testicles while trying to like <laughs> convince them that I wasn't going to be throwing the truffle knights under the bus. Rowan went ahead with his hunt with the great enemy of the Hungarian truffle knights and they scored big time. So his name is Istvan Bagi. He's probably the best trouble hunter in Europe. And he's kind of a, you know, he's a um, small built guy with a little like pointy beard. You know, he's got this sort of intense, thoughtful, slightly moody darkness to him where he could either have achieved like super enlightenment or super villainy. And you can't quite tell which. <laughs> During their hunt, Ishvan and his black lab mocha were digging up tons of impressive white truffles, which usually are around 50 to 60 grams apiece. But their finds were 70 to 80 grams. In Europe, this is rare. Even more rare is finding what hunters call a joker, a truffle weighing in at 100 grams. We'd been in the woods for a couple of hours, and then toward the end of the day, Mocha hit a spot, and I could tell Mocha seemed like a little extra excited. And Ishvan looked at the, 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 the lay of the land, and he said, oh, this is going to be a big one. The thing is, um, the way the pricing is for, for white truffles, chefs want to be able to go out in the dining room and, you know, do the whole little, uh, you know, the big dance, the, 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 the full... Sturm and Drang, where they're going to shave the truffle in front of the customer, and there's going to be a lot of ceremony. So the truffle has to be perfect. So the the visual appeal of the truffle is at least as important as the smell. So you can't nick that truffle. So you got to make sure your dog doesn't nick it with a claw. And then as you're digging, you have to make sure you don't screw up the truffle. So you actually end up digging like a crater around the truffle that's a lot bigger than the truffle is. And you eventually just leave this little pedestal of dirt that's holding up the truffle. So you've dug all the way around. And this took us probably a good 20 minutes for this truffle. Because once Isfran saw how big it was, he realized that th th it was worth taking some time. By the time the crater's there, I knew it was just gigantic compared to anything else that we had found that day. Or that I had found anywhere else in Europe. So then the last bit is he wiggles this trowel underneath the truffle, between the truffle and the pedestal. And pops it up uh, and he got it perfectly. And then we waited when we got back to the car and it was 394 grams. So it was like four jokers put together. And of course the smell was super intense. It was, uh, it was perfect. Then you're just really worried. It's like you're carrying around like, you know, some 
priceless vase or something, you think you're going <laughs> to drop it and mess it up. The truffle was the size of a baseball. In fact, it was the biggest Hungarian truffle in 2019, and it was worth 1,200 euros, or roughly $1,300. Ishvan immediately got a hold of a buyer. He instantly you know, texted somebody in, in Berlin, and off it went that night by airmail to that, that person. But in addition to the humongous truffle, the German contact wanted additional high-quality fungi, which Istvan would need to source from a seller. So Rowan went with Istvan to score from a spiky-haired guy wearing a black and red Tommy Hilfiger tracksuit with matching sneakers in a supermarket parking lot who weighed truffles in the back of his Porsche SUV. And somehow... This is not the weirdest thing that's happened to Rowan during his journey into the world of truffles. Once he headed back to the good old U.S. of A., things got even stranger. That's coming up after the break. When you visit a state as big and diverse as Texas, there are a million different trips you can take. Let's say you've got an appetite for whitewater kayaking. You can get your own. So this is why they call it Devil's River. Trip to Texas. Or maybe you have an actual appetite. I'll take a pound of brisket, six ribs, uh, three links of sausage, and a, a piece of pecan pie. Trip to Texas. Go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. Outside contributing editor Rowan Jacobson finished his reporting on the wild world of European trufflers, wondering if anything this strange was taking place in the United States. So, he turned his attention to Oregon, which is known as a rich hunting ground for truffles, though the fungi there aren't given much love. I'd been led to believe that they were going to be disappointing, because their, their price is much lower and they're much less celebrated, and they were 100% competitive on smell with the European truffles. So I was just shocked and then curious. Rowan went into a feverish research mode and soon learned about a fervent, albeit small, U.S. truffle community. Among the members was a mycologist named Charles Lefevre, who had started the Oregon Truffle Festival in 2006 in order to jumpstart the U.S. truffle market and culture. The three-day event includes a competition among dogs to sniff out the most truffles, it's typically dominated by Legoto Romagnolos, an Italian breed that costs upwards of $10,000. But in 2018, a rescue chihuahua named Gustav took the top spot. Seriously. Anywho, if Oregon has superb truffles, Rowan figured other spots in the country did too. I live in Vermont, and I thought, what a bummer that, you know, the one place in the world that doesn't seem to have any truffles is the northeastern U.S. So then I really poked around. I asked people, they're like, no, there's, there's nothing here. No chef had ever heard of an eastern truffle. But then I finally found a guy in Quebec, of all places, who had figured out how to cultivate this native truffle that's native all over the eastern U.S., and it's called the Appalachian truffle. And it had this beautiful sort of cinnamon-colored reddish coat. It was the only truffle I'd seen that wasn't white or black. And I smelled it, and it smelled really good. So then I thought, that's amazing. You know, too bad. I will probably never find it anywhere. Rowan had reason to be pessimistic. Nobody was digging up Appalachian truffles in the wild. Or at least that's what he thought until, through what only can be described as the truffle underground, 
he got a tip. There's this one dude, he lives in Maryland, a guy named Jeff Long, a retired attorney who was hunting this truffle and finding it in somewhere in the Appalachians. I'm, I'm not allowed to disclose where exactly, but somewhere in the Appalachian hills. This was huge news in the truffle world. An almost unknown species was being found in the forests of the East Coast. Rowan soon learned that chefs were chomping at the bit to get a hold of the Appalachian truffles. So he arranged for an introduction to Jeff Long, as well as a guy named Ben Cable, a veterinarian from Maryland who had sunk a small fortune into trying to farm these rare fungi. Rowan convinced Ben and Jeff to take him along on a hunt by promising not to reveal too much about any locations and to make their dogs famous in his outside story because dog owners love that. And yet... What really stands out is that we got nothing. Ben had picked out what he thought was pretty darn good habitat. Like, it checked all the boxes. And then we went through for a few hours with both Ben's dog, who's kind of in training, and Jeff's dog, who's a, a master. Nothing. And that's, like, with the Appalachian Truffle, we still don't really know. It's We're, we're just trying to figure out, you know, why is it here and why is it not here when these two spaces look pretty much the same. The truffles are sneaky. They like to hide and they make you work for them. At Rowan's urging, Ben and Jeff agreed to meet him for another hunt two weeks later in an area Ben had found truffles before. Rowan began the day with just Ben and his dog, Daisy. Daisy, Daisy. Get him. Get him. Who, once again wasn't finding anything. She starts panting like that, you know, she's not sniffing much because she's breathing through now. So Ben tried a new tactic. He kind of just dropped to his knees. I thought he was just giving up. And he pulled the moss back like a blanket. It's looking much better. And I looked for a second and then realized that there was a truffle in there. Holy moly. There's one. Just like that. <laughs> That's usually how it goes. And we were both like, holy shit. We just found it without, we don't need a dog. <laughs> so then we just scrambled around and we found several oh, more. I, I t- oh, there's, one. there's another one. Oh my God. These tend Four. to be, have a nice one. shape anyway. There's a third one. Oh my God. They're everywhere. You know, I, I did the classic thing where you pick it up and you smell it right away. I picked it up and I smelled it. Nothing. Like, it smelled like a rock. Uh, and I was like, oh my, where, where's the smell? Isn't, is this an Appalachian truffle? It was an Appalachian truffle, but truffles only emit their intoxicating smell when they're ripe. The ones Ben and Rowan had found weren't ready yet. Even worse, by digging them up prematurely, they'd guaranteed these ones never would be ripe. It was very disappointing to to go from the peak of treasure found, right? Like, oh, there's all these little red bundles of treasure in the ground, and, you know, we're dancing a little jig. But then when you smell them and suddenly realize... A, you don't have any treasure, and B, you've just killed the treasure to be. That's a bad, dark, dark moment out there in the woods. I'm not a treasure hunter. I'm a murderer. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. It's like you just picked all your grandfather's prized apples or something before they were ripe. But then Jeff showed up with his dog, Esty. A Lagoto Romagnolo. Oh. That looks promising. Who is a master truffle sniffer. Where is it? Oh, there it is. Whoa. Whoa. They basically saved the day. Jeez. Wow. They do exist. They do. You guys weren't just making it up. This turned out to be a really good 
spot. Like, we, we were surrounded by truffles, but we wouldn't have been able to tell, you know, we would have, have to, to just like claw around with our hands for acres. Where is it? Where is it, But they were everywhere through there. Oh, oh there it is. Bingo. And many were ripe, not all. So Essie just like, you know, tree to tree. Any more? Never wasn't on a truffle. Another one? Another one. Another one? So we were basically just like running behind SD and oh, digging, digging spot after spot after spot, and we could have just kept going. Excellent job, excellent! What a good boy you are, excellent! But eventually, we had more truffles than we knew what to do with. What did the good ones smell like? Good ones, it's a really great smell. It smell like it, it smells like uh, the whole like spice shop at once like a lot of cocoa and clove it's really rich warming smell and then a little bit of that like soil and earthworms and old love affairs you know <laughs> god i love it is it i mean is it safe to assume that the appalachian truffle is your favorite truffle can you name a favorite truffle is that a hard thing to do i can't name a favorite truffle there my favorite truffle is the one i'm with <laughs> Rowan's feature story about his Appalachian truffle adventures with Ben and Jeff ran in Outside's January-February issue. It was titled Finders Keepers. When Outside published this article, was like the truffle mafia upset with you? Did you get any kind of scary phone calls? Were people excited? Were people pissed? All of the above, I would say. But <laughs> Really? The truffle mafia is cool with it, mostly. But they're... I, I got contacted by one very cool mushroom hunter who used a f- false name, but eventually he revealed to me who he was. So he's very concerned. He he wants people out there hunting truffles, but he wants them to do it pro- right. He wants, you know, a lot of respect for the environment and he doesn't want it to become commercial. Like he kind of hates what's happened in Italy where, you know, it's like the mafia really is involved. And, and uh, he, he would love to see it become a hobby. It's something you do with your dog. And if you're lucky, then you have this awesome meal at the end rather than like a, a financial thing. And I actually think that's a pretty cool way to think about it. But if suddenly these things are going for $6,000 a pound, like the European ones, then, you know, uh, I, fuck it. People are going to be like, you're going to have the Sopranos of the truffle world in, in Appalachia. Yeah. They're going to they're gonna be, have like Hoover vacuum cleaners out there in the forest. <laughs> Are we on the precipice of the American truffle explosion? Oh, no question. We are right on the edge of of a burgeoning American truffle scene. It's going to take a few years, but it's going to grow grow every year. And uh, all the dogs out there are going to thank us for it. (laughs) Rowan believes that truffle hunting could eventually become a welcome pastime in American outdoor culture. One that's challenging as hell, but that ends with a delicious meal. A bit like fly fishing, but with dogs instead of rods and reels. After that fateful hunt when Jeff's dog, Esty, found all that stinky goodness, Ben and Jeff divided their treasure trove and gave Rowan a small sample to enjoy. I have to say it was one of the best meals I, I ever had, and it was one of the simplest. So I, I was camping up in the hills, like crystal clear brook going by my campsite so I'd, I'd made a fire and all i had with me was eggs and a little bit of butter 
and then I had this little tiny truffle, which was my only, my you know, my little four gram reward from the day's hunt. So I just set a pan over the fire and melted the butter and, you know, fry the egg and flip the egg. And just as the egg was kind of setting, I like shaved the, the whole truffle over the egg and, and I hit the butter. And, the, and then suddenly it's like, I was in this, you know, like sort of this little cocoon of firelight as as the evening was darkening. And suddenly the smell of this truffle was just filling this whole cocoon around me. And so it's nothing but these spicy, cocoa, haunting smells swirling around me. And I ate the egg and the truffle. And that was it. That was dinner. And the, that then I was just there with the stars. And it kind of crystallized for me you know, sort of what the essence of the truffle hunt is about and what the reward could be, should be. Would you rather relive that moment or your first kiss ever? <laughs> yeah, in this case, I think I'll go I'll go, go with that moment. There's more elements there, yeah. <laughs> that was outside contributing editor Rowan Jacobson speaking with producer Patty O'Connell. Rowan's story about the hunt for the Appalachian truffle ran an Outside's January-February print issue. You can also read it on our website, Outside Online. Rowan's latest book is Truffle Hound. Patty produced this episode, which was edited by me, Michael Roberts. Music by Robbie Carver. Thanks to Rowan for sharing recordings from his reporting. Sound design elements came from Epidemic Sound. The Outside Podcast is made possible by our Outside Plus members. Learn more about all the benefits of membership at outsideonline.com slash pod plus. Also, we're offering new members a 25% discount. Just enter the code POD25 at checkout.